Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight I'm not only joined by my co-hosts Matt and Steve, but we're also joined by a very special guest who is no stranger to the show, Graham Davis. Welcome back to the show, Graham. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Before we move on to the rest of the show, we'd like to take a second to thank our outstanding Patreon backers. Their generous donations help us keep the show going. Finn Anderson. Thank you, Finn. I had a Cast- feeling you'd take that. Yeah. Considering you, you know, might be the same bloodline. Yeah. Somewhere down the road. <laughs> right. <laughs> Casper Ryback. Thank you. Thank you, Casper. Thanks, Casper. Also, and finally today, Michael Stenker. Paulson. Thank you, Michael. We, we very, very much appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to thank these fine examples listed above and buy us a beer or some tea, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. For only a couple of dollars a month, you can help us continue to bring you discussion and actual play in the grim and gritty world of Warhammer fantasy roleplay at patreon.com forward slash old world podcast. So, Graham, in case there are some listeners who don't already know you, uh, why don't you tell us about yourself and what you do for the Warhammer community? Uh, okay. Well, um, I'm one of the original writers of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, uh, going all the way back to the 80s. And um, I was on staff at Games Workshop for four years, and uh, I kept up with Wolfrup as a freelancer. I think I'm the only writer who's written for all four editions. And uh, most recently, of course, I've been working with Cubicle 7 to put together the director's cut of The Enemy Within campaign. Indeed. And then we will be getting to that shortly. Uh, is there anything else that you've been working on in the realm of Wolfrop? Well, I've been doing a, a few little bits and pieces for the um, the people who sign up for the collector's edition get uh, dev- developer diaries. Uh, which are little PDFs. Um, I think they're once a month, but I'm not entirely sure. And I've written a few little bits and pieces for that. So, for example, we're going to be talking about Death on the Right today. And a couple of development diary pieces I did for them were um, uh, reminiscences on developing the original way, way back in the 80s. Um, and a little thing on uh, River Gods of the Empire, and uh, yes. the the river gods one was one that uh, uh, Lance and I and Steve all really really enjoyed. Yeah, that I'll I'll tell you the the truth, Graham. That little piece that you wrote is what made me upgrade to the collector's edition. Oh well, thank you because because I wanted to get my hands on that, and uh, it yeah. was well done. Thank you. So yeah, that's that's been about it. Um, honestly, it's been enough. The director's cut is ten books. It's been a lot yeah. of work. So. Uh, uh, I did, before that got started, also do a, a little book called Rough Nights and Hard Days, mm. uh, which was a, a little mini campaign all using the same sort of multi-plot format. Uh, Grognard players and GMs might remember a rough night at the Three Feathers from uh, from White Dwarf uh, that had this sort of timeline multi-plot, uh, basically farce kind of format. 
and uh, I put together five adventures in that style in a, a little mini campaign. Yeah, and actually, uh, I still am reading uh, feedback on new GMs that are are uh, you know taking a look at that book or getting it for the first time, and I've read nothing but positive reviews on uh, Rough Nights of the you know at the, or Rough Nights and Hard Days um, overall. So um, it's a a great. I think that says something good, right? That the uh, the original was really good and really popular, and then the rewrite and the extra is all getting very well received oh well i'm very glad yeah it's uh, i'm i'm always a little concerned because it, it can be demanding on the gm though i've i've tweaked the format to make it as easy to run as possible so uh, I'm, I'm glad people are having a good time with it yeah there's another uh not to get too far off but um the new uh foundry uh plug-in or module for wolfrup um and you can actually get rough nights of the or rough nights and hard days as one of their mini modules and it even includes like a little clock that you can you know <laughs> display and keep track of what time it is which is i just think a, a really cool addition that's very cool yeah yeah so you know outside of wolfrup what have you been up to um, well, a couple of things. Um, I'm uh, working on a uh, video game um, with a company called Tactical Adventures. They're based in Paris in France. And the last couple of years, I've been helping them with a game called Solasta Crown of the Magister. It's on early release, uh, early access on Steam right now. And what it is is um, if you remember the old um, single-player, party-based uh, gold box games like Pool of Radiance from the early days of D&D uh, &D computer game adaptations, it's something like that with um, modern-day graphics. Uh, it's a single-player game. You play a party of four characters, and I've been working with their team to put together uh, a new fantasy world it's based on, it's licensed, let me see, it's not a and d license, but it is licensed from Wizards of the Coast to use the 5e rule set. And so if that sort of thing sounds interesting to you, check it out. It's called Solasta, Crown of the Magister, and it's currently on early access and on Steam. Yeah, I actually oh, cool. took a look at that, and uh, the graphics look really good. And some of the background storyline, which I'm not sure how much of that you've written, but from what I've you know gotten from the webpage and stuff like that, seems super interesting. So, thanks. Well, we we had a lot of fun doing it. We ended up creating way more background than the game needed. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, so I was working with. Uh, Two, two other writers, uh, Antoine Guillot, who's um, uh, a long-time hobbyist, but I think this is his first professional work in the area. And uh, he, uh, he's been the main driving force and visionary behind the world. And I've been helping to organize it and fill in a little few blanks. And then um, we've also had uh, some help from... Uh, Xavier Penard, who is the lead game designer. So he's been kind of reining us in uh, and making sure everything we come up with is something that can actually be achieved by the game itself. And uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a lot of fun creating the world. That's awesome. 
So I know there's another project that you've been involved in that uh, I'm curious to ask about because we, we haven't seen much come out of it yet, and that's the rookery. Uh, can you tell us anything about the rookery? Uh, sure, sure. Um, people who are familiar with Wolfrop 4th edition and even 2nd edition will uh, recognize a few of the names. Uh, apart from me, there's uh, Andy Law, uh, who has done a lot of maps and also a lot of writing and developing and general organizing for both 2nd and 4th edition. Lindsay Law, his, his wife, who's uh, got a, a writing credit on the 4th edition rulebook. Andy Leesk, who um, is the man behind all those wonderful uh, plot hooks in Ubersreich. And also he took that across to uh, to Bogenhafen for uh, Enemy and Shadows. Bog King. Just got to get that That's... out there. <laughs> uh, you feel better now? I do. I do feel better. That <laughs> It might be my favorite thing that come out of the uh, Ubersreich book, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> And um, finally, Mark Gibbons is is heading up the art side of the project. Now, some people have called us a role-playing supergroup, um, but we're just a bunch of people who've worked together before and get along very well. And uh, we have some ideas of our own, and we want to make them. And so that's what we're currently working on doing Um you can find more news as it uh, as it becomes available. Let me see on Twitter at Rookery P. Um, there's a Rookery Publications Facebook page, and I think there will be some more channels coming up. But those are the main ones at the moment. All right, so I might be too much of a fanboy of you, Graham, but like when you said some people call us a, a role playing supergroup, I had this thought of like. Right. So like we get up and put our pants on just like everyone else, except when we're done, we kill Archeon. That, <laughs> that was my thought there. That's where I immediately went. So take it with you with. Yeah, that's it's quite the list of names. And man, I got to tell you, um, I know that uh, there's COVID has impacted the Rookery quite a bit. Um, you yeah. guys uh, are are not exactly where I think you plan to be. But um, man, it has been. It's been I've been waiting to hear what the first big announcement coming out of the rookery is. So I guess we'll wait a little longer and uh, hopefully uh, we'll see something soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually talking to the guys earlier today and uh, things are coming along quite well uh, for our first release. Now, uh, I'm not going to be drawn on what and when partly because it's not for me to say and partly because I don't want to set up false expectations that we then are unable to meet for some one reason or another. But it'll be out when it's ready. We're going to pull like a, a, a Romero, or, you know. <laughs> we'll, uh, um, and uh, like I say, uh, Rookery Publications on Facebook, uh, at Rookery P on Twitter, um, Sign up, link, follow, and you'll know everything as soon as, pretty much as soon as we know it ourselves. And we'll include those links in our show notes as well. So if you're listeners, if you're looking for those, just check out the show notes. Thanks. Yeah, definitely something we are very, very much looking forward to. Well, uh, you know, we've uh, 
you kind of know what we've all done in the past. So you can imagine a little bit what it might be like, what we'll be doing. Um, <laughs> but it's it's going to be a lot of fun. We are having a lot of fun. Well, good. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So uh, announcements and news. This is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on Wolfrop and related news. All right. We're going to get started with some updates on the production that we've heard from Cubicle 7. A big one, the biggest one, I will say, is uh, that as of the time of this recording, the Middenheim City of the White Wolf has been, the PDF for that has been available for about five, six hours now. Uh, and yes, we have already looked at it and <laughs> scrubbed through it and read through it. And there are some really excellent things that we want to talk about. Um, I think the intent is that we will end up doing a full episode on this, uh, a full dig into it at some point. But uh, all I can say from the beginning, just from a, a surface glance through of it, it looks excellent. It's got, it is as packed full of story hooks as just about every release has been so far, which is always something we really like to see. Incredible artwork. Yep. And yeah, it's looking good. Yeah. Yep. Very excited. So, and that was a, I, I have to admit, that was a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, it was one of those situations where I, I dare I say, I think Cubicle 7 might have released that to us before what they said they were going <laughs> to. So um, that was, uh, it was like, uh, I was working, I was in the middle of a work meeting today and it was, I got this text from Matt and he just like screenshotted the fact, like, I forget, it was a Twitter post. Oh, it was TS, yeah, TS. It was TS's, about it. yeah. <laughs> it's just like. I a message, I was like, um, what? What? <laughs> Yo, that was exactly what I thought. I got the text that you sent, man. I was like, what? And it's like, Thursday. I was thinking my head, like thinking about it. I'm like, what day is it? Right. <laughs> it's because it's not Warhammer Wednesday. So I don't like most Warhammer Wednesdays. I make sure to check my phone a few times. Right. And that was one where like, man, I could not get out of that meeting. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. To, to be clear, Cubicle <laughs> 7, if you're listening, don't feel obligated to wait until Wednesday for things. Yeah. <laughs> you can drop them whenever you want. We'll, we'll drink it up. So uh, along with the, the PDF of the uh, city, with, city of the White Wolf, it also comes with a map of Middenheim that is excellent. Mm -hmm. Very similar. And again, we'll, we'll get more into this when we, we talk more in depth about the book. A lot of similarities between that and the... Uh, booklets in the starter set a lot of information about the city obviously the surrounding areas and whatnot including in that is a very nice map mm. and i know at the same time that that was announced they also are doing advanced pre-orders for archives of the empire volume one we got to see the cover art for it it looks awesome and definitely something that um obviously with advanced pre-orders you won't get the pdf quite yet but once the pdf is available then it'll be uh, be sent out to you. Hey, Graham, did you uh, have did you write anything for archives that you're aware of? Um, well, uh, I haven't seen it yet. I had a quick look at the uh, the content listed on the page, and it doesn't look like anything of mine is there. But I did send them a bunch of stuff way way back, uh, and of course, you know, as we know, this is archives one, so there are going to be more coming. So to actually answer your question, no, nothing in this one, but maybe in a later one. Okay. Yep. Awesome. I, I, I would be surprised because uh, it's, it's a smattering, if you will, of different subjects. Um, so I'm really very interested to see what this one looks like when it gets released. But anyway, yeah, me too. Yeah. 
All right, and then oh. finally from, uh, or not finally, but uh, last thing I'm going to talk about is the Death on the Reich and the Companion are now, have been sent off to the printer. So uh, again, kind of hard to know exactly what the timeline is going to be like. We don't want to be too optimistic, but they said Q1 of 2021 is when we should start expecting to see that uh, physical copies of these books in our hands. Obviously, um, in, a, yeah. in a post-COVID world, please don't send us hate mail if if your physical copy is not there you know by the end of first quarter okay we we have we have no idea when you're actually going to get it <laughs> um other news uh a, a, another short pdf kind of like uh the monuments of the reichland it's called shrines of sigmar so um, that's excited. expected <laughs> sorry expected to release before the end of the year and and it's should be soon um another one's going to be uh it's called one shots of the reichland uh, that should be expected expected to be released very soon. Um, and, of course, the power behind the throne, uh, the third part of the Enemy Within campaign. That's kind of right on the heels, it feels like, of the one we just got. Uh, it's it's going to be available for pre-order before the holidays very, very soon. And, of course, the companion is going to be right on the heels of that. So it seems like Cubicle 7's on a roll now with their yeah. dates and their times. Yeah, I, I will say this. Um, we're the we've gotten several articles from Cubicle Seven with a breakdown of everything in production that that they're willing to talk about. Big list with lots of updates. Um, they have definitely heard the community and they're they're letting us know what's going on. And um and I was uh I mean they said originally like Middenheim, you know you should have pre-orders out and very soon in a week or two or something like that. And, and they, like I said, it was like, gosh, was it even a full week before we had been time? So, uh, I think I, I think I tweeted at cubicle seven. I said, well played, well played. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, uh, additional, I mean, there's a lot of news guys and there's a lot more detail. So I'm just going to say this, uh, there are articles in Cubicle Seven's website. Check them out. They give they're going to give you more detail than we have. We don't want to um, spend too much time hitting all of this. Uber's Reich Two. There's a the next adventure is coming out. The Horned Rat and the companion for the Horned Rat that's in currently review and and editing. I am excited. I have I, if if rumors are to be believed, we uh, we might be able to get uh, Skaven playable characters out of that. I'm looking forward. Um, Empire and Ruins and the Companion is in review and editing as well. Um, and uh, I think more than anything, I think everybody's waiting to see how Graham ties a bow on on the enemy with within uh, director's cut. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it'll be a bow with lots of corruption and, and lots of explosions. So, covered in blood. Covered yeah. in blood. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes, you'll you'll have to wait and see for the details, but um, <clears throat> I, I have to say I'm I'm pretty happy with the way it's turned out. So Imperial Zoo, um, which this title is not set, but this is basically the B series for um, Wolfrup. I'm very excited about this. T. S. Lucart has been writing this, and um, he did the second edition one, which was very good. I'm very excited to see this, and. Um, yeah, TS has been on our show, and like Graham, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have him. So I'm excited to see what comes out of this as well. <laughs> I mean, just and that's all just fourth edition news that we just went over. 
all of those books, all all of those um, hits coming down the line, and a lot of them are farther along in production than I thought. Especially right. the enemy within. I I'm surprised the power behind the throne is as far as it is. So I'm glad to hear that. Me too. It just feels like so much. There's so much. Right. I mean, it would. Yeah, just a lot to read. It's it's awesome. Right. Definitely. Great time. Keeping us busy. Yep. Um, also, Foundry had its Enemy Within release of the, like these uh, smaller modules that include content. I am super interested to see this. I'm from the pictures and stuff. It looks like you get a bunch of maps and tokens that are going to be helpful. Pre-programmed stats. Um, again, we're going to talk more about uh, virtual tabletops in another episode. Give us time to be able to test them. Um, so it'll be a little while, but we're gonna we're gonna do a full review of them. So. So uh, one of the things too, Graham, before we move on here, um, we got some listener questions. Uh, some of our patrons had some questions that reached out and one of the, uh, so we sprinkled them throughout our show today. And uh, this is the first one. So I wanted to throw this at you. So his question, this is comes from Alexander R. He says, has Graham tried or seen uh, the Roll20 or Foundry Warha- Warhammer modules and what's his opinion on them? And uh, he also says, uh, please forward my thanks for making the fan work for Foundry an official module. Superb quality goes hand in hand with superb quality of the books. Um, So in my brief amount of time I've been able to look at them, I would agree that the modules have very high quality. But I'm curious to know, um, Graham, that's a great question. Have you uh, had a chance to try out the virtual tabletops? Yeah, no, I, I haven't. I haven't really uh, gotten around to looking into the whole uh, whole matter of virtual tabletops. It's uh, obviously something I'm going to have to do pretty soon. So uh, maybe at some point I'll, I'll come back and tell you what my impressions are of the, the virtual tabletop versions of The Enemy Within. There you go. I think what you should do, Graham, is, is go to Padraig and say, hey, I know you are running a test game with The Enemy Within. Have me be a guest character for one session and give me a chance to try out this uh, virtual tabletop. Well, that's a thought. Yeah. There you go. I'm, f- I'm full of them. <laughs> Just exploding with us. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to talk about our sister games, which, of course, are Age of Sigmar Soulbound and uh, Warhammer 40K Wrath and Glory. Starting out, just going to give you some quick hits on what's happening right now with Age of Sigmar Soulbound. The uh, core book and the collector's edition are, uh, I believe they're going to be shipping soon from what we've seen uh, and expected to be in stores in December. Again, kind of take all that with a grain of salt, knowing that uh, a lot of places there's there's still a lot of impact from COVID-19, of course. We have the Soulbound GM screen, the starter set that are both currently in the works right now. The GM screen... I believe is supposed to be in stores in January files for the starter set have been sent to the printers. We're looking at a likely a Q2 of 2021 release date on that. Don't hold us to it. The shadows of the mist, the next adventure from that one, uh, crucible of life has been had the layout completed PDF for that. Again, Q1 of 2021. There's more things that are in the works. Uh, Champion of the order horror, of the mortal horrors of the mortal realms, Steam and Steel, and of course, there's a lot of PDFs that are going to be in the works. It, and lo- largely in the same way that we've seen for Warhammer 4th Edition, the uh, Cubicle 7 is really supporting this uh, line of books 
and this game with a lot of extra PDF content. So expect a lot of that as well. And as always, keep an eye on Cubicle 7's uh, Twitter page, Facebook, and all the other means to uh, keep up to date on what's going on with Age of Sigmar Soulbound. So so I want to say I've been waiting for a, a dwarf um, background book forever, ever since Stone and Steel from first edition. And, and dang it, Age of Sigmar is going to get one before us. So Graham, I'm going to need you to do something about that. I'm just saying... I want my dwarf book. Well, uh, I'll see what I can do about that. Uh, I know, uh, I know, Mad Alfred Nunez is still uh, still writing for Wolfrop, uh, or still he's still very active in the first edition fan community. Anyway, so uh, maybe we can persuade him to do a reprise of Stone and Steel. Oh, that's a great book, by the way. I love it. For Warhammer 40,000 Wrath and Glory, the uh, the core book, um, if you direct order the direct order for UK and Europe, uh, are shipping. US shipments due to land with distribution partners in the next few weeks. So expect it to be in scores, uh, in stores quarter one, 2021. Uh, there's also the Forsaken system. Uh, it's currently in editing, expected to be released this year. Uh, Litanies of the Lost, the first adventure, Duty Beyond Death, uh, is complete. So pre order expected this year. Uh, we have Church of Steel, uh, still in progress, uh, due to be completed early 2021, so quarter one. And, of course, this PDF support. There's just a variety of PDFs now uh, that they're working on that are being released. And, of course, it'll be ongoing over the months. So look out for those. And, of course, you can find this and more online at www.cubicle7games.com uh, for all that information if you want some more de- details on each one of those. So I got to say, when I was writing the show notes for this, like I started one day and there wasn't really a lot of news. (laughs) And then the next day, Cubicle 7, like they dropped all this information all at once. So lots of good stuff. All right. So let's get on to the main topic, the meat of the show, the reason that you're here. And I can say that the entire crew of the Old World Podcast has been chomping at the bit to get our copies of Death in the Reich. And... We have been super excited. Uh, we've been pushing our actual play um, episodes kind of along in a certain direction. Um, and not to lie, because we all want to get to the river. We want to start having adventures on the river. And we've been really looking forward to this book. Um, so uh, to, to say that we're excited to review this book would be a significant understatement. Um, so, Old Worlders, uh, be sure to hide your barges cannon from the passing river wardens. And beware of the many dangers of the river as we go over our review of the Death on the Right Companion in tonight's episode of the Old World Podcast. Just to get started, I would say that uh, a lot of the layout, a lot of what you'll expect in this book is going to be very similar, of course, with the Enemy in Shadows Companion. Starts out with a preface that kind of breaks down what you're going to be finding in this book. Uh, Things like guest commentaries, deleted scenes, behind the scenes, uh, extra adventure modules, things like that are in here. And actually, right out of the gate, there's two, I don't know if you call them, like, testimonials. The first one is from Martin McKenna, who did a lot of the illustration for the first edition of Death on the Reich. And the second Mm -hmm. one is um, James Wallace, who is the former head of Hogshead Publishing. Yeah, I I wanted for each of the companions to, uh, you know, in the Enemy in Shadows companion, I wrote a little bit... uh, reminiscing and so did phil gallagher and i wanted to continue that in all of the companions because there are so many people worked on the original 
who uh, and everybody had different memories and stories to tell. And so Martin McKenna. Now, I'm going to just take a little pause here because I heard uh, just last week that Martin McKenna sadly died in September of this year. And uh, he was a, a great artist. I uh, was very privileged to work with him when he was just starting out at Games Workshop. Um, and uh, he'll be greatly missed. So sorry to hear about that but also very glad that he was able to just uh, give us a few words about his role in death on the reich it was his first major project we'd been trying him out with um, little bits here and there but um, when death on the Reich came along john blanche the art director uh, decided to uh, to give martin the whole thing and uh, i think his his art uh, went a long way towards making it what it was the first edition version yeah there's uh there's some some of that artwork was creepy uh, and and like very made, made certainly didn't make you think that the uh the river reich was some placid river that you just take a sunny day floating down <laughs> <laughs> definitely not right and it's also from his artwork of that period it was also always a lot of fun spotting the movie reference <laughs> now the the other one i, I so i want to say real quick uh listeners we're going over the death and the right companion and as part of that we'll be discussing several items if if there's a chance that you want like 100% zero spoilers, I mean, we're not going to spoil anything here, but there might be things, one or two things that maybe like you might consider a spoiler. I just, this is your fair warning. And uh, the reason I mention that is because uh, the, the next uh, letter writing here is titled, uh, Yes, I Sank Your Barge. And I have to admit, I was not aware of the, I don't even know if you'd call it controversy, right? It, it sounds like it was a humorous letter that he's referencing here. Um, and I went and I looked it up. I found a copy of it and read it, and it was absolutely hilarious. I'm curious, and Steve and I were talking about this before yeah. we were recording. We're curious, Graham. Were you aware of this letter when it was originally wrote that he's kind of replying to here? Um, yes, yes, I was. Uh, this was... Oh, way, way back. And uh, we're talking about news groups and internet mailing lists and that sort, <laughs> wow. of, era, that sort of era of fandom. But yeah, yes, I, I was aware of the exchange and uh, it was uh, pretty funny. And uh, since we've got the, uh, we've had the spoiler warning um, in, uh, in Death on the Right, I took pains to uh, provide a lot of different ways for the GM to, uh, to handle the, the matter of the barge without necessarily having to sink it and without necessarily having to take agency away from the players. Yeah, and that's, uh, so, and, and that's one of the things I actually really love about the way you've been writing the, the, the Enemy Within it's uh it's one of those things where I so I haven't I very purposely not done like a cover to cover reading of the adventure modules because I haven't had the opportunity to play or GM it and I'm not looking to have a full on but I'm not worried about perusing through it and grabbing 
reading little sections and stuff because the grognard boxes are there and make it extremely clear that even if I knew what this one NPC was about, there's no guarantee that my GM is going to do it that way. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's why I put them in there. You know, uh, a 30 year old campaign, um, you need to do something because I've heard from people who have played it, the first edition campaign, as many as four or even five times between playing and GMing. And so, um, you know, instead of making this just like a, a collector's edition of the original or a, mm-hmm. an archive, um, I had to, to make it live again and, and have uh, some surprises. And, uh, you know, also some ways for the GM to um, punish and humiliate any players who tried to uh, use uh, prior knowledge that their characters should not have possessed. Because, uh, you know, this is Wolfram, folks, and that's what we do. Uh, we <laughs> yep. I feel like my number one goal as a GM is usually to humiliate my players. So I appreciate that. (laughs) I've played in his games. It's true. (laughs) Well, you know, some GMs take it as a win if they, if they, you know, they're like a total party kill is a a victory for them. But I think that's far too kind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so we get to the diseased part of this book. I I agree. You're not kidding. Yeah. There's some, there's some <laughs> brutal stuff in there. So we do have another uh, question for you, Graham, from uh, another old worlder. This is Alexander R. again asks, do you have a personal tip for any GM running this module that he or she should take special care on? I think the best advice I can give is make it your own. I mean, yes, there is a plot running through it, but at the same time, um, the river is a great sandbox, and that was one of the things people liked most about the original. Uh, they liked it so much that it was hard to get them away from the river, which is why James <laughs> Wallace had to sink everybody's barge. Um, but just, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> if it's not the wrong f- turn of phrase, go with the flow and uh, nice. let, let people uh, just experience the river as, as they go along with the adventure. And uh, don't worry too much. You'll find ways to to get them back on track in time for the next uh, next event. Yeah, I, I will um, say this: Dom, Dominic McDowell's on our show, and uh, he mentioned that you know he's part of the playtesting actual play for the Enemy Within, and something I think their bards got burned down in their game. Uh, he mentioned it as one of like the prime the group's primary like um, goals to uh to avenge that <laughs> so right still working after all these years that's right <laughs> also before we get to even the first chapter in here we've also got stuff talking about the guest commentaries as well as an explanation of like the grognard boxes adventure hook boxes and shadow cast boxes as well uh, in addition, we have, just like in the Enemy in Shadows companion, we have a page that talks about the various Easter eggs that are included in this section of the Enemy Within, including a section that I thought was neat talking about how many uh, names of people that worked at uh, Games Workshop are included in here. Yeah, I, I still remember um, there was a table in the middle of the the writer's bullpen so to speak with this huge piece of paper on it and uh 
mostly Phil Gallagher was drawing the map of the empire. And he worked out this sort of analog method for procedural generation of towns and villages, which meant that the whole thing was covered in dots and every dot needed a name. And so, <laughs> you know, we started with the names of people we knew, people from the, um, uh, from the studio. And um, then I, like I said, in the, uh, in the Easter egg, someone was having a really bad day that uh, when they named the, the villages of Browndorf, Naftorf, Brastorf and Riptorf. <laughs> you know, it was all just, um, I mean, it was the sort of verbal equivalent of Rorschach ink blots. You just sort of, mm. a, a word came to mind, you rushed to the German dictionary and you plonked it down by a dot <laughs> on the map. <laughs> That's... That's hilarious. We actually named one of our towns in in our actual play um, Grot Milkendorf uh, because our wizard um, miscast and spoiled all the milk in the town. So, oh, that's that's lovely. I love hearing stories like that when <laughs> when something happens and people make it their own and make it part of the campaign. That's great. Good old Grot Milkendorf. Oh, yeah. we will <laughs> never precious, never precious let her live that yeah. down. I I had a sour experience there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably the uh the, the town mayor is called the big cheese. Ah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> oh man. Oh. I've got another old worlder question for you. This comes mm -hmm. from Michael Wagabrand. He asks, there are a lot of hidden pop culture references in Wolfert products. Has anyone uh, that you've ever used, you know, their name, you know, or whatever, uh, have they ever approached you uh, after the fact and either been happy about the reference or upset about the reference? Um, well, no one who is the subject of a pop culture reference ever has. Uh, I assume that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I just don't <laughs> meet people who are uh, big names in popular culture. Uh, however... Um, going back to naming things after people in the studio, um, there was, uh, I think it was the head of sales. The name was John Stallard. He now runs Warlord Games, who are best known for the bolt-action World War II miniatures mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rick Priestley is, is writing a lot for them. I think he actually designed bolt-action. Anyway, um, he came to me and said he wanted to be put in a book as an NPC. Um he should have known better, really, <laughs> because um, in the Middenheim in Warhammer City, the first edition Middenheim book, and we'll have—I haven't seen yet whether uh, he's still in the in the new one. Um, I created a, a tavern called the Drowned Rat in one of the city's scummier districts, and uh, named the landlord Johann Stallard, a big-built, bearded ruffian. And um, he was very disappointed with that portrayal. I think he was expecting something a little more heroic. But, you know, serves him right for asking me. <laughs> That's great. Well, the drowned rat is definitely in here. I'm looking right now to see if, if he's in here. Yep, he's there. Johann Stoller, a big bearded ruffian with extensive criminal connections, is master yeah. of the house. There we go. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. Good stuff. Not quite the immortality he was hoping for. Oh, tell me, and I would that would I would be super happy with that man <laughs> personally. <laughs> it could be worse. Right. It's Warhammer. You know? <laughs> oh, it can always be worse. <laughs> So I guess we'll jump into chapter two. Uh, it's about herbs and their uses. Um, this chapter I liked, you know, kind of deep diving into herbs and, of course, their uses. <laughs> um, it does add some aspects. Uh, there are some more charts. Uh, basically, there are some new rules as well. Um, but basically, they have some charts where you can find herbs. But it depends on the season. Is the right season? Are you in the right location to find them? So it adds some depth uh, to it as well. Um, also, like gathering herbs, um, they also added a new endeavor uh, called for forging. So you can actually roll based off of your lower herb. And if you get a certain amount of success levels, that's kind of the scarcity rank that you can get from common to exotic. So I thought that was nice. You know, it's a different way of instead of spending a whole session trying to find one herb that's exotic that you might not find, of course. Um, this gives you that chance to do it right when you're between your adventures, thus saving time. Did, did you write any of these herbs, uh, Graham? Um, uh, yes. Um, oh, now, this is actually a, a fusion of two pieces from first edition that have been updated for fourth. Um, in the original Enemy Within, um, in the section on the Empire, before the adventure start, um, there was a small section on herbs, which included some foraging rules and the uh, the whole seasonality and location uh, thing. I believe that was Phil Gallagher. And um, then uh, sometime in the Flame Publications years, um, we got a, a submission. How, let me see if I can remember the name of the person who wrote it. Uh, yes, Klaus Torn Ekstrom, a fan from Denmark, uh, submitted a whole bunch of, uh, of new herbs, and uh, they all look pretty good. So uh, I edited them up, and uh, I decided to create Hortensia Puddlefoot so we could have her little comments of someone in the world about using them. And uh, that appeared in the Warhammer Companion, first edition Warhammer Companion, uh, as uh, I believe it was called Puddlefoot's Common Herbal. And um, there wasn't room for this in uh, the Enemy in Shadows Companion, which wasn't really a problem because uh, I think Death on the Reich Companion is a better place for it because there's a lot more uh, freedom to wander around the countryside and do things like look for herbs. So... Uh, and this is uh, is one of the reprints that uh, that I collected and updated for for this volume. Awesome. Uh, what is there a a change that you, any changes in here that you made that were like what we might be considered like a bigger change or a surprise? No, not really. It's it's a pretty straight adaptation. Just uh, the only changes really are to the mechanics. And of course, the, uh, the now that we have the Endeavor system in in fourth edition, uh, that made sense to pre present uh, foraging as an endeavor. Oh yeah, so yep. I, I I will say for this this chapter, first off, I want to point out that um, most of the herbs, or quite a few of them, have a piece of artwork with I think which I think is a really nice touch. 
Every it single is. herb has a little section that is um, the uh, Hortensia's kind of commentary on it. It's like an in-universe or like a you know an in-world commentary, which I think is really cool. It's it's similar to the concept that T.S. Lucart did with the second edition Bestiary, where you have the you know, it's it's not just like here are the rules and describing what it does, but there's a an in-world description which helps to give it a lot of flavor. So, um, and yep. I I actually didn't realize that this was in that player's companion. I haven't looked at that first edition one very well. I just flipped through it, so that's uh, something I missed. But this is really it's really cool, really well done. And any time we get a new endeavor, uh, I'll point this out. An herbalist wasn't super high on my list of a, a career to try out, but I absolutely now, now like I, as a player, knowing this is out there, it makes me more excited to play or try an herbalist as a career. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I feel like having this much new information about various herbs, it it takes that career from being a good career and really just just bumps it up, gives you a lot more options. I did also want to mention that there are a couple story hooks peppered through this section as well. Yeah, some some really good ones. Um, I won't spoil this one, but I gotta say, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> Hilarious. It's a good one. So if if you got the companion, go read that. Uh, but I won't ruin it on the uh, show here. But uh, that one is like I I want I want to run that just for a one shot for fun except make the characters the 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 three right i need a, a run a game with three players and that's what it'll be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. I, I think the hooks were uh were andy's andy laws as he he did the uh at least started the development on this awesome all right so let's move on um, to uh, chapter three, which is deleted scenes. And because of the, the nature of what these are, I don't want to go too much in detail, um, but there are a few things that I really wanted to point out. Number one, uh, the deleted scenes are a great way to almost, it's like taking a story hook and expanding it upon it like or giving you a mini adventure or if you think about the starter set the starter set has those one pager adventures which are like expanded story hooks or the beginning of a of adventure that you can use and, and flesh out these are similar in the fact like you could probably punch these in anywhere especially in a yeah. river setting right like the concept of the imperial and i i'm sorry i know i had to have Plenty potentiary. Thank you, Graham. I, I will <laughs> never be able to say that word, but it's still an awesome concept. Like, how much story can you build around that? Just that concept. Um, I mean, you could have sessions. Yeah, for just sure. Just trying to work around this. Yeah. And the the Maria Borger. Um, mm -hmm. Man, that's. I mean, you don't even. That doesn't even have to be in the Empire. You could plug that anywhere in Warhammer and and change up the NPCs just slightly, and have a great source of an adventure. Or you want to get your players from point A to point B, you know, in an interesting way. 
really put you in a tense moment with that one. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to play it out because there's so many kind of ways to end it. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to ask uh, a question for you, um, Graham. How? It, so deleting content in, in having a section for it's cool that we got the deleted scenes in here. Like, how did you decide what to cut? I know as we get farther along in the enemy within, we'll probably see bigger cuts. Right. Um, but like, how, how did you decide these scenes were the scenes that needed to be cut from the, you know, the death on the Reich? Um, well, it was, it was really a space issue. Um, Death on the Reich, first edition version, there's an awful lot in there. And um, I had to um, do some reorganizing for the fourth edition version and uh, provide the GM with it enough uh, tools. You know, uh, over the last 30 years, there's been an awful lot of, uh, of people played it and provided an awful lot of feedback and there were some areas where help was definitely needed where more explanation was needed um and that came on top of the fact that if the whole of the first edition death on the reich including the river life of the empire supplement um that had uh, a greater word count than uh, would fit in the in the projected fourth edition book so i had to make some cuts um, but I didn't want to lose anything. And uh, it was really that which uh, gave me the whole idea for doing the companions. Um, oh, okay. Because, they're, they're, I mean, that was the start of my thought process because I knew that would be necessary. And, you know, there's a, a lot of stuff um, that isn't necessarily central to the plot of a particular uh, adventure or which um, maybe appeared in White Dwarf uh, at the time or appears in the form of a, a glaring omission uh, or a, an opportunity. And, um, you know, once, I, once that idea was in my head, the whole, um, the whole companion thing was born. Um, so these two, um, the Imperial Plenipotentiary was a scene in Death on the Right, but it wasn't central to the plot. Um, it was really just uh, uh, almost without context and uh, gave the uh, it was a naked opportunity for the players to see a little bit about imperial politics. But it didn't really contribute anything to death on the right per se, other than a little bit of color. So that was an easy one to just yank out and put here in the deleted scenes. And the same with the Maria Borga, which was... Uh, in the River Life of the Empire um, booklet, as well as just describing, you know, all the uh, giving rules for the different kinds of boats and uh, living on the river and, and so on. Uh, I put in a bunch of adventure hooks and I developed one of them into a little mini encounter, which was the Maria Borga. And uh, so this was the, the best place for that as well, because it didn't depend on Death on the Reich in any any way whatsoever. And the main adventure of Death on the Reich wasn't any the less for not having it there. Well, I'm glad that you came up with this concept because I feel like even when we have to cut something, we still get it. It's like 
it's it had to be cut, but we still get the deleted scenes on the DVD, right? So that's we, right. Yeah, yeah. I, yep. I I'm I'm happy about that because again, too. it gives you more option as a GM, right? If you're yep. one of those groups that plays three times a week, um, then you need more content. Here you go. Or that's right, yeah. and also you know dealing with updating the enemy within it's it's such a a well known and and beloved campaign um, that I, I also had a sort of a duty to curate it properly, and that meant um, not cutting anything that anyone would miss mm. and feel disappointed by by the absence of it. So uh, this gave me the opportunity to just, uh, instead of cutting, just to rearrange mm -hmm. so that, uh, you know, nobody would be uh, disappointed at not finding one of their favorite parts or finding it missing. Yeah. And actually, speaking of like changes that we have to make, we, we did have another listener question here that kind of applies. Um, uh, Alexander R. asks, uh, what is the most controversial discussed change for the new addition on the team? Um, so I did read the, the last developer diary for the collector's edition, and there were some references in the old Middenheim book that no longer fit in this time. Was there something similar for Death on the Reich? No, no, not for Death on the Reich. No, there wasn't. There were a few changes made. Um, I can't think of specifics, but, um, you know, a, these days, and Cubicle Seven's been very good, very conscious about uh, inclusivity and tolerance and things. We thought we were doing a really great job in the '80s by having pre-generated characters, you know, some of whom were female. Mm -hmm. uh, that was quite advanced for those days, but uh, obviously time's gone on, and that's that's no longer uh, anything like enough. Um, so that sort of broad um need has been met um and uh as far as the uh the old middenheim book is concerned um there were just some um some pop culture references that no one would get any <laughs> right so uh you know they'd uh, no longer really the the jokes would just be flat so uh, they they had to be replaced um but as as regards death on the Reich specifically, um, there weren't any really uh, huge problems that way. All right. So uh, another question here, which was switch gears just a little bit, and I'm very I'm very excited to hear your answer on this one, um, mm -hmm. Michael. Uh, I should have had Matt ask this question. Wag Wagbrand, w Wage Brand. Wagga brand, I think. Wagga brand. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah. So sorry, Michael. I just, just as listeners assume that I'm apologizing after every name I say ever. <laughs> um, so when GMing the Death on the Reich, Graham, how dark mm. would you make it? For instance, would you portray the village as silly or absolutely horrifying? That is a really good question. And there are basically, well, there are at least three answers. Um, <laughs> um, my instinct has always been to, uh, when GMing, to go with the flow, to sort of see what works with the particular group, what they enjoy, you know, how dark they want to make it or how silly they want to make it, and uh, and be guided by what 
creates the the best entertainment experience for that particular group at that particular time. And I'd vary it session to session, even hour by hour. Uh, um, so I guess one answer is I do both. Um, and the other answer is also I do both because <laughs> um, one of the things that's always made Woofrup Woofrup is this balance between horror and slapstick, between humor and grime and depression and gallows humor, all of that. And so uh, you kind of need both. In, in a way, they give each other meaning. Uh, I'm now reminded of some speech yeah. between Batman and the Joker, but, you know, they, you need both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, that's a very writer's answer, right? Like, like both i'll give you two options one is both and the second one is both <laughs> <laughs> but for different reasons yeah yep there you go moving on to chapter four this is where we start really digging into information about the rivers mm. so starting out we're getting a little bit more information about the main rivers of the empire such as the reich the talabek the aver and stir so this this is going to give you a little bit of information as far as kind of what to expect in those areas and where they'd be found as well. It's one thing that I think maybe is missing from this area. It would be a really nice, or even this book in general would be a really nice map that shows exactly like where the rivers are, how they all move and like a uh, watershed map, right? Something yeah, like, yep. yeah, like something yeah. that shows you the, the main mm -hmm. and the tributaries kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, that would be quite a useful thing to have. Um, I know the, uh, I mean, obviously the Reichland's been quite mapped in some detail, and I'm hoping that the Middenheim book will also uh, have uh, good maps of, of Middenland and the surrounding area. But I don't think um, Cubicle 7, at least, has, uh, has done a, a complete map of the Empire as yet. But that would be a great thing to have poster size. Oh, yep. Uh, yep. Lance and I, we talk about that a lot. <laughs> just having a gigantic empire map that's detailed with the towns. That'd be so cool to just have on my wall and take, take up the whole wall if you need. Yeah. Right. This 10 is 10 by 12. This is yeah, my map know. room. There's one the, map. <laughs> it's the same level of detail as, uh, as uh, Andy Law's map of the Reichland from the, uh, the end papers of the rule book. Then uh, yeah, that would need to be, Yep. That would need to be, you would need cathedral ceilings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah sure. In fact, Lance, I think we spoke about that to Andy Law about making a big map. <laughs> I, yeah, I think we did at Gen Con a couple yeah, of years sure ago. Did. Yeah. Y'all remember good, good Gen stuff. Con? So, for those that might not know oh. it because of COVID, yeah, Gen there used Con, to be the big game convention. Yeah, it used to be the big game yeah. convention we all went to. People um, used to gather. It was It was a thing. It was come close, um, to, come close to the fire, boys and girls, and let me tell you about <laughs> conventions. <Yeah. laughs> uh, oh man, that's I have to admit, Graham, that's one of the, one of my biggest. Um, I want to be careful here, right? Like the the death and everything that's around COVID is is the mm. most terrible thing, um, and there's sure. a lot of stuff that's surrounding that that's causing problems too, but. Um, from a pure gaming perspective, um, one of the biggest things that I miss is being able to go to Gen Con and talk like directly to you and, you know, to, 
you know, Padraig and Dominic McDowell and, and everyone else, you know, TS, the, the whole crew, um, there's nothing like going to Gen Con and being able to talk face to face with, uh, you know, the people that are doing the work that you admire so much. So that was hard one. Yeah. That was a really hard one for us because we look forward to it every year and uh, having to cancel that this year was rough. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if you're big into the hobby and the community, it's uh, it's one of the high points of your year. It's it's almost like yeah. I'd almost rather cancel Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. It's like we had that one time a year. Yeah. <laughs> we go face to face, but. Well, hopefully, yeah. you know, we can be optimistic. Yes. Let's, let's keep that, our uh, fingers crossed for next year. That. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you know, exactly. The progress with the vaccine shows the promise, you know, fulfills the promise that it's showing. Absolutely. Well, rest assured, when it comes back, we will be there. Absolutely. <laughs> and I will look forward to seeing you. Yes, indeed. All right. So in addition to information about the rivers, there's also a wonderful couple pages that talks about locks and tolls, uh, including mm -hmm. a really killer uh, map of yes. a, a typical river lock and a lock yeah. keeper's house, what it looks like. And how that would function, right? I mean, I think a lot of us know how a lock works nowadays, but uh, mm -hmm. certainly in the old world, things were a lot different. I love, I love the fact that this is one of my favorite things, right? Go look at every map that's been made for fourth edition of like a building and any building that's not within like the walls of a city. Oh, it's fortified. Every, every house has its own yep. stone wall that's six Palace feet tall. Yep. <laughs> It's great. Yeah, so it's a great piece of artwork. I, I do want to say this, right? So this is great for GMs and players. Players, you can read these couple of pages and get a good sense of like how river life might actually be. But when you really think about it's this it's this crazy like Warhammer is, right? It's like this it's crazy mix between like they're quite advanced when you think about these canal systems and lock systems and things that they've built. But it's mixed with this, like, barely functioning, how the heck did they manage to get this built like a canal or a lock? Like, really, how are they maintaining that? It's like this weird mix between everything's falling apart and we are barely holding on to our lives every day. And we're on the cusp of the next new technology. Yeah, it's always been a bit of a mixture. Um a lot of uh, a lot of it is informed. I I grew up by the River Thames, and so the design of the lock there is is based on one I knew, which of course was probably a Victorian or slightly earlier construction. Um, but um, I think the uh, the intention, uh, whether it was a conscious intention or not, was that it was a chaotic world. A huge nation, very hard to control, full of rivalries and politics and the occasional monster and what have you. But there were these little islands of control in it where people were fending for themselves and just carrying on and doing the best they can. You know, it's a, a simple society and simpler societies are less prone to collapse. That's probably the best way I've heard anyone describe it. I, I, I'm going to steal that when I'm describing the empire to someone I love just reading a little bit in here about lock keepers. Yeah. That it's not even a concept that we would consider right nowadays. Like a lock is a, like this huge business and this uh, infrastructure where people go and work and that's it. 
as opposed to somebody who there's a house there and somebody lives there. Yeah. And, uh, so, so definitely some neat stuff. I love the bit about negotiating locks. Definitely t- brings the trade carpentry skill <laughs> to the forefront because there's a lot of ways to damage a ship or damage a lock for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that, that's based on my own experience on the river Thames. I, uh, I rode crew when I was at school and uh, I had a couple of relatives who had boats on the river and um Although it was dying out as a profession, there were still lock keepers who lived on site mm. and operated the lock and, uh, you know, were paid by the uh, the river authority. Ah, very interesting. Yeah. So there is a table, of course, that we all love, a lock navigation failure table, which has some fun, yes. fun stuff on there, <laughs> uh, including, you know, there's information in here about having your ship potentially be grounded, which is interesting. And in addition to that, there's a whole couple pages that are all lock-specific encounters, which are always really fun. All right, I've got another question coming from Michael. He said, uh, is there any possibility of Cubicle 7 posting the maps and handouts as a PDF for those that did not buy the book? I'm sorry, that did buy the book from Affligus and want to be able to give good quality copies to our players? That's a really good question. Um... I can't answer it. It's it's question for Cubicle 7. Um, but if you did get it from a friendly local game store and uh, they're part of the Bits and Mortar program, I believe that means you can get the, uh, the PDF of the book um, somehow or another, uh, as well as the physical book itself. Now, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm assuming from his name that Michael lives outside the USA. And so I don't know how far that um, program extends, but it would be worth asking the uh, the proprietor of your game store if there's uh, if there's any arrangement like that in place where you are. Yeah, and yeah. I I have personally used this. Um, I, I first found out about this when I was into the One Ring and with Cubicle Seven, and I picked up some books. Um, so there's there's two things that I would tell you on this. Um, it, Graham's absolutely right. the The Bits and Mortar program is absolutely the way to go. Um, you can go to their website. Uh, we'll put the site in the show notes too, but you go to the website. They have a list of the stores. If your store that's near you or a store that's near you isn't on there, talk to the store owner, just like Graham said. I have done it. I have talked to um, two of my friendly local gaming stores, and they have both signed up for Bits and Mortar. Do you want to know why? Because they still get the sale, you get the PDF, and so now you're providing an additional incentive for you to get those books and support your your local gaming store. We we often have a section on our show right that's uh, called Feed Your Greater Demon, and it's all about supporting your Fligus, and this is probably one of the best ways you can do it. Get your book, your physical book, but get the PDF, and you can get it as soon as the PDF pre-order is there. You can pay for your book at the gaming store, and they can give you that PDF. As soon as we can get it from Cubicle 7, they can give it to you as well. So, um, It's a great program. It is. It really is. It really is. And and it, let's say you're in a situation, it's just not working out. You don't have that option for whatever reason you've tried. Um, another thing that you can do is contact Cubicle 7's customer service. Uh, man, I used to have it memorized. I think it's like info at cubicle7games.com. But go go to their website at cubicle7games.com. Find their customer service. 
I have in the past been able to send in like a picture of my book, a picture of the receipt from the store that I bought it from. Um, you know, as long as you're not buying a book at, you know, for $2 at Jim's bargain bookstore or something, um, they will, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I've never bought a $2 one and tried to get a PDF out of it, but if you can show your receipt, um, I think in two different occasions, I've been able, they've sent me the PDF. Um, so, I mean, there are options out there. The best option is to support your friendly local gaming store. If you can, if not reach out to cubicle seven via their customer service link. So. Yeah, they, they've, they're very good about that. If, uh, if you've got the physical book, then their attitude is that you are entitled to the PDF and they'll figure out how best to get it to you, whether it's through the bits and mortar program or whether it's uh, going through customer service, as you say. Yeah. But it shouldn't be a problem. Just uh, don't be afraid to ask. And I want to say something, too. I used Fligus in normal conversation the other day. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, it was a great moment for me. I'm just throwing that hey, out there. It's, it's a thing now. It's a thing now. I think we can collectively say that this is the greatest thing that the Old World Podcast will ever be known for is <laughs> coining the term Fligus. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for the uh, entry of the Fligus disease at some point in one of these... Uh... <laughs> You know, the the wheels in my head were turning. <laughs> you know, that, that sounds like it ought to be a word for something nasty. <laughs> oh, that's so good. All right, well, moving on. Chapter five in The Companion is where we really start to get into some pretty heavy, pretty nitty-gritty rules when it comes to boat handling, weather, taking damage, things of that nature. So chapter five is all yep. about river navigation. Right. And this was lifted from the uh, River Life of the Empire uh, supplement within the first edition, Death on the Reich, uh, and updated. Um, and I, I want to just point that out because I've heard from a few people who bought Death on the Reich um, expecting it to have all that stuff in it and were then uh, mildly outraged that they had to buy another book to get it. Um, and it's just unfortunate space. You know, I wanted to make the adventure as, as good as it could be, um, and uh, space limitations were what they were. But I wanted to make sure as well that none of the information was lost, and that's kind of the point of the companions. Yeah. So sure. I, I'd like yeah. to point out the the – so there are a lot of options here and a lot of different ways to do things. And um, the, but the core mechanic of handling a boat is actually super simple. It's like a, there's a single boat handling test. It explains it. Now you can get yeah. really complicated depending, like you said, Matt, with like, you know, wind direction and different things yeah. like that. But S strength of the wind can impact a percentage of the total distance that your boat can travel, things of that nature, uh, which, which can, uh, you know, I, I feel like in the in a wrong circumstance that could kind of slow things down. But again, it really, I feel like so much of this, and it even has the you know talks about stuff being optional. That this is a great yeah. great guidelines for having any sort of adventure on a river. Well, the idea was that the GM should have everything needed um, for when any of these things, weather or uh, river conditions, became an issue. It's, it should never be so. It should always be a servant, never a master. In other words, 
you know, you don't have to roll every hundred yards for uh, how deep the river is and what your chance of grounding is. You know, if it's yeah. if you're just sailing along the river, then just sail along the river. But when you want something to happen where this uh, this can play a role, um, then you've got everything you need in this chapter. Well, Matt, Steve, I'm going to have to rewrite the whole adventure. Our our whole first adventure on the river was all boat handling test for you guys. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> good thing we've all upgraded our row and sail skill <laughs> i know I'm, I'm so glad we were on top of that in anticipation i'm yeah. i'm actually super excited about the huge lack of skill you guys are going to have with the boat i'm not gonna lie it's it's something i very much look forward to i think i might just hire somebody to do that but <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that brings us to the boat damage and boat critical hits section. <laughs> mm-hmm Oh, man. I, I don't think we have to go into depth on all these different things, but I do want to point right. out, like, there are rules for combat. You can get all piratey on your river barge if you want and get into fights with your um, <laughs> local river wardens. Um, but there are things like grounding your boat, like it was said before, getting a hole or doing temporary repairs. Um, yep. you different know. hazards you're going to find in the river itself, like yeah. rocks and debris. I have to admit, like, accidents is probably my favorite part of this chapter. And swinging boom is my favorite accident. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Because if you fail your dodge test, you take damage, and then you can fly off the boat. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Or you can be left hanging off the boom over the river like uh, like you're in a silent movie or something. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Good stuff. All right, on to Chapter 6, the Imperial River Patrol. Uh, this chapter was fun. Um, right from the get-go, the artwork made me laugh because it's like you got a mutant pointing at a boat like, let's take over that one. The other guy's just chilling next to the rail like, I don't even see the axe in your head. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it could have been there a week. It's no big deal. Axe in your oh. head and arrows in your back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a beak for oh. a face. And, man, that is like... He must be a really devout follower of Zine. So that's all I can think. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's, he's obviously got the uh, the painless creature trait. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, good stuff. He's like, well, uh, he's sitting down at dinner. Sorry, he's sitting down at dinner and he's like, "Why didn't you guys tell me I had this arrow on my back? We thought you knew." Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't want to be rude, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Uh, this chapter, oh, it, it's okay, man. Hey, uh, this chapter goes over the history, kind of like their bases. Like almost every, of course, city and almost every every town has a river patrol there. You know, based off their size, you know how big the town or city is. So, uh, it's definitely with your gaming. This is a full on career. In fact, uh, if you want to be part of this, it's kind of called the River Warden Career in the main rule book. But basically, this gives all the rules, uh, bases, personnel, boats. It gives some profiles, which are interesting. Very <laughs> Just all the backgrounds, yeah. you know, of who is actually a river warden and who joins us. Um, all types of back- backgrounds, things like that. There's also encounters, which uh, one of them made me laugh, like follow that boat. I mean, you could just be on your boat and then all of a sudden you get stopped and then they're in trouble. And then it's like, we need you to follow. It's just it's just like the cops if they commandeer your car. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that gave me a chuckle. Did you, uh, Graham, did you write these uh, three NPCs in this chapter? 
No, and I don't know who did, but they were they were added in development, and uh, I think they're a, a great idea because we've got one of each level of the career, mm-hmm. and um, I, I provided you know generic NPCs just like uh, I did in the first edition, but um, I think it was Andy again, Andy Law, who um, decided that these generic NPCs weren't enough. We needed complete NPCs who could be dropped in, who could be used right away uh, as is, or who could be given another name and uh, uh, a different personality for, uh, for another encounter. Um, but yeah, it was a, it's a policy thing in, in Wolfram 4, as far as I can see, that uh, every time there's an NPC, it's, um, they're very seldom just generic, you know, here's a river warden, here's a watchman, here's a guard. Uh, but they're actual. They're always presented as actual people, right? Right. Yeah. And and I think in some sense you have to be. Matt and I were talking about this before. Um, in some sense, you you got to be careful. Like if you're new, how how do I say this? If you're used to the, I have where's my D and D monster manual, right? This mm. might not make sense. You might think, oh, these aren't used for a standard. But the concept here is that these are standard you can use them as standard just ignore the name in the paragraph grab the stat block and you know give them a new name and you're good so that's right yeah and while you're at it make sure to enjoy the doomings that all four of them have because they are excellent (laughs) yes all doomings are doomings uh please tell me uh, graham are are you the father of doomings in warhammer is i am not i wish i had been um that uh, again came. I don't know who it was, but whoever it was did a very good job because it's it's just so rich with atmosphere and possibility. Mm. We just did an episode that we released last week on more. Um, <clears throat> the is a god more, and uh, we really got into more of that cult. <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> and uh, it was it was uh, so good. Uh, you don't realize how deep doomings goes until you look into more. So, mm. yeah. Speaking of these doomings, the one for Adalia Ison is indecision will decide for you. And I mm. have, I, I'm telling you right now, I intend to use that phrase with my family, maybe <laughs> on a daily basis. Like, oh, what do you want to eat for dinner? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, indecision will decide for you. <laughs> Drive through at McDonald's. There you go. What's your decision? Hurry up. Five, three. Okay, you're getting that. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Okay. So chapter that was chapter six. Chapter seven is um, fellow travelers. And we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but it is a similar concept that we saw in Enemy in Shadows Companion where you had travelers along the road. These are travelers along the river. You have more than just a paragraph. You have a few paragraphs that will give you a breakdown of a particular traveler. Like, you know, we have grave robbers and hunters, right? And they give you different... Yeah, yep, exactly. They give you different ideas on how you might play these, and they give you a stat block. So it's similar, you know, grab the stat block, change the name if you need to, or you have a fully fleshed out background on a character if you need it. it and there's a lot in here. So if you're building a adventure on the river, this is a definite way for you to go and just grab a stat block and uh, 
Yeah, like uh, my favorite is uh, Helma Bootsleck, um, the Steve door, which she's legit. Um, but there's a lot. Oh man, the the Elf Cook I think is a funny one too. Ah, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I don't know, uh, Graham, if there are any nuggets in here you wanted to mention, but. Um, not really. Uh, you know, as with the uh, the river wardens, I uh, I provided the um, stat blocks and the basic uh, generic descriptions, uh, mostly lifted right out from the first edition original. And um, somebody came along at Cubicle Seven and just added all this wonderful stuff, added all this shine and sparkle, and and made them what they are now. And it's it's just a a testament, you know. I know I get most of the credit for this uh, director's cut, but uh, honestly, I'm just part of a team, and uh, there are people at Cubicle Seven doing wonderful work on it. Yeah, that that cannot be cannot be overstated that they the everyone that works on these books put in uh obviously put in a lot of hard work and it shows because they're there's a lot of good stuff in here all right so that brings us to chapter eight this one is all about river folk and specifically it's a variety of different encounters that you're going to have on the river um broken down by the the type of encounter so if you're having one with a merchant boat it goes over what to expect gives you a couple merchant and uh, traders npcs you know fishing boat passenger boat there's artwork there's adventure hooks all throughout here this is another great place this i feel like this more than any other maybe uh would be a great uh resource to have that you could pepper into any adventure as soon as your your party goes on a boat you could try to figure out what kind of uh you know what is likely that they would come across and then you've got an adventure hook and uh npc right here ready to go yeah, and I think it's interesting that this chapter, it's almost organized by not what type of it person you encounter, but what type of boat you encounter. Right. That ha- it's, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah, I put it together with the preceding chapter, and it, it's sort of uh, warp and woof, if you like. It's looking at it from two different angles, what kind of person and then what kind of boat. Yeah, the noble one I thought was interesting. I kept thinking about Conrad and yeah. our and our thing. Like, man, how many boats should we get? Multiple boats, and you know, entourage of boats. Yeah, an entourage of boats. The, the... Should, should we get multiple boats? And how can Heinrich man them both? <laughs> That's we need a plank between them, some oh. sort of rope that he can go across. Oh, like the old rodeo thing of uh, or circus thing of riding two horses at once. Right. Mm-hmm. He has one like... foot on each boat. <laughs> That's awesome. His pure strength holds us together. <laughs> um, I like the one of Sigrun Doppelwasser. You know, just uh, storyline. He started out like not believing miracle cures, and he ended up with his own entourage. Uh, yeah. Just, I mean, if you look at the picture, like the background, the the background on the right hand side, well, that's creepy. Yeah. You just imagine, like, what's on the boat? You're yeah, on page fifty six. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know how I never looked at the background. That is creepy. Kind of like a Frankenstein guy with like a leather face mask with It'll yeah, like a lens for it. Yeah, it's mouth sort of stitched together. Like and meets the scarecrow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't buy tonic from him, man. <laughs> it's a cure-all. <laughs> they do say death cures all, right? 
That's that's a very Warhammer sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> no worries now, buddy. I guess that moves us on to chapter nine. Uh, it's about the Imperial Sephamore Sepha Semaphore. Is that is, is that right, Graham? Yep. Semaphore service. So the Imperial Semaphore service. Uh, this is interesting because I I could see this being built just you know in the old world, and of course here it is. Uh, they're signal towers, and basically. Uh, most of the time it takes forever either by boat or a carriage to get a signal or a message anywhere in the empire. Uh, but now they're starting to build these signal towers with codes and flags and uh, they just, they can send like a message from one part of the empire to like from Null to Altdorf in like an hour, you know, saving lots of time. So it's a cool concept. It gives you the full kind of the, how they're constructed Um there's support supply, careers, and there's a bunch of adventure siege, which which, which are interesting. I think my Where's favorite that? part of this chapter, like when I was reading it, was about the code books. Mm -hmm. I, I just, the, the concept, the second you said, oh, there's a secret code book locked in every tower so that they could tell, so messages can't be intercepted. Like, just the fact that you say that sentence means there is <laughs> so much adventure opportunity right there. Yep. So good. Yeah. Nice. If you want a better visual of what this looks like, the right at the end of this chapter, there's an excellent piece of art that yeah. shows one of these towers with the light um, and uh, Moore's Leb in the background. Very, very mm -hmm. nice piece of art. Yeah. And an army at its doorstep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, yeah, don't forget yeah. those guys. Yeah, don't forget those guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I hope... Hope your tower is pretty strong because. Gee, I, I wonder what message they're sending right now. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a nice chapter to do because, um, of course, the um, there was a signal tower under construction in Death on the Reich, and uh, I always wanted to just take that and run with it, and you know, flesh out the details of the rest of the service and. Uh, and so on. And now I, I actually had a chance to do that here. Yeah, I really like So the concept, one of the things I think that you made really clear in here that I really liked, right, besides the code book, which was my favorite part, but that some of these towers are constructed like in the middle of the wilderness. Like, yeah, like hardly yep. any way to get to them and resupplying them takes a small army like that. Mm -hmm. It's just a, it's fascinating. I really, yeah. I really enjoyed this. This section. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're almost like a combination of a, a remote l island lighthouse and a uh, a fire watch tower in a national park. Right. I right. had those those two images in my mind as I wrote. Yeah, like man, there's so many story plot lines you could do. Like Matt, like you were saying, man, if you happen to get the key and you know the code book, yeah, or, or if you or take out a tower, the messages are kind of blocked. Sure. You know, yeah. Thing. And how significant that could be to uh, an invading you know, mm -hmm. army that's on its way. I have to think that the, some of like the, the code book stuff in there was inspired by the world war two messages and the, like the enigma code. Oh, definitely. It was. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Awesome. All right. So let's move on. Chapter 10, deck it out. Um, I, if this wasn't the first place I went when I yes. got this PDF, it was the second for sure. Um, <gasps> Man. So, all right. 
Graham, we've talked about this previously. Um, it looks like your submitted title didn't make it. Um, Pimp My Barge. Um, I can understand <laughs> that from a, a certain point of view. Um, I was a little sad that it didn't get to stay, but I get it. Um, having said that, the content is exactly what I expected. Um, man, so, and think something we talked in the beginning, right? You lose the, that boat, that freedom to go around, man, it'll matter even more to your players once they've customized their boat out. And exactly. Yeah. Oh yes. So good. The only downside I think is like, man, you probably had a limit on space and I bet you, you probably have 50 that you didn't get to fit in here. Yeah, I I could have done a lot more. I mean, I could almost, well, not almost, I could definitely have made like a, a separate game, you know, like uh, uh, like Dark Future with cars, but but this with boats. Okay. So, yeah. so I'm going to ask the question, any chance we'll see more options come in maybe one of those dev diaries? Um. I haven't done any more on this particular subject in a dev diary yet. <laughs> but, uh, never say never. That's right. And, uh, of course, there are going to be th- other places for uh, this kind of material, like um, subsequent Imperial archives. So, mm. yeah, cool. I don't. I can't promise anything, you know, imminent. But uh, never say never. Awesome. All right, so Graham, what was your favorite? Uh, if you had to pick one of the favorite ones in here, I'm curious. What was what's um, your favorite upgrade? I, I think it was all the stuff to do with concealed weapons. Um, the fact that in, in, in World War II, there was a, a thing called the Q-ships yeah. uh, uh, running the Atlantic convoys, and they looked like harmless merchantmen. But... Uh, they had all kinds of, of guns concealed and, you know, walls would fall down and things would open up. And uh, a U-boat that thought it was going to have an easy prey suddenly found itself on the other side of the equation. And so that moment, um, I, I always had that in mind, that moment where the pirates come up thinking that they're going to take a merchant ship and then they suddenly find themselves completely outgunned. That's yeah. awesome. Definitely makes me think of Waterworld, like these <laughs> in some ways, like just ramshackle, hobble together things, but you could pack a punch. Yeah, mm. see, I've always thought about that with the, um, and I can't remember the name of the ships, but there is a what Graham was saying in World War Two. There is a like I think in a maybe an Australian cruiser, heavy cruiser, and a German Q ship in the Indian Ocean that met up, and uh, they sank each other because they had that much firepower um, going at each other and they didn't know for a long time what happened to those ships. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating story because you look at, uh, they found the underwater wrecks and like this, uh, this merchant ship had some huge guns on it. It put some big, and of course it got into like point blank range right before they sprung the trap. So yeah, yeah. Good stuff. That's, why does it not surprise me that uh, Graham's favorite thing in this chapter is, um, you know, how I can bring hidden guns to the to the party? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you check out the mortar, good lord! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> whew, good stuff. So, 
I, uh, I, I mean, we don't, there's not, a, I don't, we don't want to go through all of these things, but just so if you don't have the book yet and you're, you're looking at this or wondering what this is, I mean, there are upgrades for almost anything. Um, like they have it broken down by like section of ships, so like steering or superstructure, right? Rigging. Um, Hull, every, yep. yeah, everything yeah, from upgrading luxury cabins to getting yeah. a cannon on your ship or propulsion. Yeah, um, uh, magical sails. I think is somewhere in here. Um, the yeah. steam engine comes complete with a table for steam engine malfunctions. So, yeah, that's awesome. You know, that's good. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. I and I'd love. I could talk all day about the different um, upgrades, but this is something where I mean, if I'm a player, like I have this. I have this chapter printed out. Honestly, if if we're on a boat, <laughs> because. That's what I'm trying to do is earn money for my next upgrade. Yep. That's right. It's a wish list. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, nothing cheap, though. I feel like uh, the, even this might be beyond uh, Conrad's grasp as far as. Oh, yes. We'll have to figure well, something out. You could get some very nice awards for five crowns each. That's true. Yeah. There you go. Heinrich, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got premium nice awards for you, buddy. There you go. And some gloves. I care. Because I like you. <laughs> all right. This leads us into chapter 11, which is all about all about trading rules on the river. So uh, kind of like information in here about what life is like for merchants, um, buying and selling goods, uh, more ways to calculate the availability of goods. And the one thing I really like about this chapter, it ends with a three-page gazetteer of the Grand Principality of Reichland. So essentially this breaks down all the different settlements. Well, not all, but a, a quite a few for sure, a hundred. Uh, and it tells you the size, what their population is, what kind of wealth that city has, which can have a huge impact on the availability of certain goods, what it produces, uh, militia, extra notes, etc. There's a lot in here. And again, this, I feel like maybe not to the same extent as the herb chapter does for an herbalist, there definitely is good information in here for anybody that's playing a merchant. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. And th this was the section in the, in the first edition version that um, I think got the most use because people were just got so into traveling and trading and making money that that's why James Wallace had to sink their barge so that they'd actually <laughs> get on the road to Middenheim and back on the, uh, back on the, uh, the plot of the campaign. So I'm curious, Graham, the, this chapter might have created more discussion on the internet than the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people that wanted something more gritty and there's a lot of disagreement on like, well, how much, you know, at what point do you have a, a game where you're not role-playing anymore? You're playing merchant. And yeah. Yeah. So my yep. question to you is, is did you struggle with that when, you know, getting this chapter in here? How did you make the Not decisions about really. how granular to go? Um, well, uh, firstly, I didn't have a whole lot to do with this chapter um, because there was uh, a lot of the mechanics needed quite a, an overhaul to, uh, to fit with 4th edition. Mm. And there are people at Cubicle 7 who uh, know the mechanics uh, far better than I do. But it's it works at about the same level as the first edition system, and it 
wasn't intended to be you know terribly granular it wasn't intended to be like a a, a virtual economy or a resource management game or anything like that um but yeah some people want to do that kind of thing uh what we've got here is basically enough for everyday use so to speak and um you know people can and will um, make their own uh, versions they'll go as deep as they want to go and they'll almost certainly uh, put them online somewhere where uh, other like-minded people can see them and that's the beauty of a fan community yeah um, this chapter was the one i wanted to read the most because i'm a noble so i'm like yeah how can i make some extra coin um, and in reading it, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I could be on the river for a little while. And, and then I was thinking of how certain groups remain on the river. <laughs> and I was just thinking, oh, that's the GM's fault. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like we're on our fourth, fifth, like, or, or first year's worth of traveling on the river. I might just have to strike your barge with a lightning bolt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, or just remind the group that, hey, uh, we're not merchants. You guys are... <laughs> <laughs> you got a pit fighter, a soldier, uh, so on and so forth. But I think I love it just for the fact, because I know on our next adventures, we're going to be on the river. So it'd be nice to make some coin on the way. Um, but definitely, uh, from what I've read, the river life is not the the, the kindest. So I don't want to stay in it for too long. And I know Lance, being a GM, he will get us eventually. Steve is mm -hmm. a huge James Wallace fan, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, oh, okay. So I don't want to miss this before we move on. The trade rumor table. I know Matt loves this table. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah this is just a great, this is, I mean, you know, you walk into a tavern and you're, you're looking around for rumors and, you know, this has got 20 different options. In addition to there being a rumor, there's also, uh, you know, talks about like what kind of goods could be involved, which I think is really neat. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really nice little table. I can't take credit for that either. That was someone at Cubicle 7, but it's it's lovely. It's almost like an adventure hook generator. For sure, yeah. Even with just a couple of sentences, that's that's all it takes to get that spark going. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds yeah. me of the, the table in the GM screen, too, that like is similar, the tavern finding a job table or whatever mm -hmm. it's called. All right. So uh, Chapter 12 goes over wreckers, smugglers, and pirates. Uh, this was an interesting chapter. Gave some examples of each each one: wreckers, pirates, and smugglers. And uh, the backgrounds are some of them are interesting. Uh, well, they're all interesting, but some of them are like funny too. Yeah, I, I found it really interesting. The pi pirates and wreckers are very different. But before I read this chapter, I don't think I realized how different. I mean, it's a simple thing, right? One has a ship and one doesn't. But if you don't have a ship, how do you? steal from other people and it's you they're you know false beacons uh, bogus yep. pilot they have all these different you know ways that they can can do it i i love the the concept of like an artificial hazard like well there didn't used to be rocks here or, or tree but there is now and hopefully they don't see it you know there's also careers not careers but um npcs throughout this as well Right. So like you get the different like different levels of wrecker. And again, throughout just like throughout the rest of the book, they have like a, a background and like a name and unique way. Or, you know, you can just pull the the stats and slap your own name on it. 
The uh, specifically, there is an excellent pirate captain NPC in here that maybe is one of my favorite NPCs in all of Wolfrip so far. The Reginard Veef. Oh yeah. yeah, with the shark helmet or with, the shark head. Yeah, yep. Well, and uh, yeah. I won't spoil anything, but reading his stat block, there's some fun little tidbits in there. Yes, there is. Ooh. And just read through them. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, and uh, actually, talking about him, um, I recently found out that um, you can get his hat as a, a special item in Vermintide. The, uh, the, Whoa, that is awesome. Yeah. yeah. The OB. The obese megalodon hat, which is another way of saying fat shark, which of course is the name <laughs> of the game. Uh, that's and you've done some work with them too. I there was recently a video where they did a walkthrough. Uh, was it Bogenhafen? That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, part of a uh, Steam's virtual tabletop festival, and I sat in with uh, Morton Stormdahl, who's their narrative director. And uh, we just had a little wander around Bogenhafen, which is just amazing to see it actually built in 3D. I, I want to make this clear. So you, the title of that and w- the way Graham just described it makes you think, oh, cool, we're going to walk around a 3D environment of Bogenhafen. No, 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 no. You are killing your way through swarms of rats and all sorts of other things. <laughs> <laughs> through, yeah, through the right. city you're not just having a stroll i want to make that clear yeah. <laughs> you get to yeah. see the it's, gameplay it's bogan half and i overrun by skaven yeah <laughs> all right steve why don't you take us on all right chapter 13 is the river bestiary uh this one whoo the first picture gave me the creeps it's <laughs> an amoeba digesting a full-size human <laughs> yeah yeah of course not the armor uh, that'll be there when it's done but yeah this was a, a creature from first edition, which I uh, had appeared in Death on the Reich. So uh, we kind of needed a formal bestiary entry for it. And then I went through and found a few other bits and pieces from second edition and other sources. Yeah, I just made a nice little extra bestiary of things you can encounter in the river. Yeah, I so I got to say the giant leeches were freaky, but the tree, the concept of a tree leech... Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. No. Oh. Yeah, dropping down on your back. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Yeah. I'm not a fan. Uh, I'm a fan of it in Warhammer in the fictional world. Not a fan of leeches in real life. <laughs> you you wouldn't want to meet one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of really cool the the naiads, stir pikes, river trolls, um, and uh, probably Reichiel. When I first read the description, I was like, or didn't when I read the name, and then I saw the picture. And I'm like, oh, dang, that's huge. Huge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, it's a lot of unagi. <laughs> the artwork in there for the Reich Troll is also, or the uh, River Troll is also just an excellent piece. Yeah, yep, that's that's good. We got a bunch of new traits as part of that, too. So if you're doing anything custom, these can be super helpful. Analgesic saliva you know, anticoagulant saliva. Yeah. Lots of good stuff. So anyway, mini B series. I'm always a fan of good stuff in there. Next chapter was, uh, this is a chapter where I got on the phone and I called Matt and I said, did you look at the diseases? Wow. These are, I'm not sure how many of these you wrote Graham, but I can tell you that cavity worms might've actually given me a nightmare. (laughs) Um, that was 
disturbing. Yeah, I think I got them from a, a second edition source. Um, and there were a, a few others. A couple of them I made up and a, a couple of others I, I collated together from from earlier editions. Diseases are pretty rough in Woofrup anyway, but I mm. feel like waterborne diseases took it to a new level, including new symptom gripes, which is uh, nasty on top of half of the other systems that are part of these. And some of these, like cavity worms, you just straight up make you stupider as you go along until it kills you. Alrighty, that's going to take us over to chapter 15, which is The Red Crown, A Game Master's Guide. So we saw a similar chapter in The Enemy in Shadows Companion. This one is all about the Red Crown uh, breaks right. down their cultists and uh, you know all the, all the different things, as well as an expanded look at the lore of Zinch. That's right, because uh, it was in Death on the Right that the Red Crown cult uh, first starts to play a role. Um, so since I'd covered the purple hand in the enemy and shadows companion, it just made sense to cover the red crown here and, uh, also gave me an opportunity to show the differences between them with the, uh, the purple hand being more urban and, uh, based upon, um, political ambition and such things. Whereas the, uh, the red crown was, uh, more into, more literal physical change and uh and was uh, friendly toward beastmen yeah and there's a there's a huge grognard box on on them too to help uh, gms that are running death on the reich to you know bring some extra surprises we'll say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's good stuff one thing i wanted to point out so uh, this lore the the extra lore man i think zinch the Z- lore of zinch in fourth edition with this book is now probably the most robust of a individual lore as far as like options you have for um various uh spells yeah, even even petty spells yeah which is something i didn't expect um was that your addition was petty chaos petty spells your um, they were they were all collated together from um sources from previous editions Honestly, uh, they they pretty much all existed. I might have changed a name here or there. Okay. But um, things like the Tome of Corruption for second edition and uh, Realm of Sorcery for first edition, uh, there was an awful lot of stuff there that just really needed to come across to fourth, and this was uh, a good opportunity to do that. There's some good stuff, including a new talent, Willful Corruption, which you can roll multiple times and pick what you want from... uh, getting a mutation which i think yeah, is awesome when, yeah yeah plenty of of excellent spells in this chapter and the chapter itself is capped off with another career again similar to the cult magus of zinch this is the warrior of zinch so not really a career you're going to roll into but one that you might uh either use for an npc or if you had the right uh the right player maybe this would be something they would get into as well i just love this because uh, this is this is how you have your warrior and magic. This is how you get to go stab people and cast spells at the same time is <laughs> a warrior of Zinch. So that brings us to chapter 16, the Emperor Lootpold. Uh, this is pretty much, it's a luxury river lot liner. And basically it, it gives like kind of what your journey would be, the rules of passage, a typical day. It gives stats on the crew Pretty much all passers are permitted to carry one sword and one dagger. You know, 
I'm sure people try to bend the rules, but you know, there's different rules. It's just in, interesting because this was kind of uh, what this was inspired by Warhammer novel. That's and, right. It was a, a, sh a ship that was mentioned in, I think, the very first Warhammer novel, Drakenfels, by Jack Yeovil. And uh, I wrote it up as a sort of traveling location with some NPCs and plot hooks, and it appeared in White Dwarf and then got collected in, I think, the Apocryphas, maybe the Warhammer Companion. And since we're dealing with the river um, in this companion, it just made sense to update it and use it here again. I love the map that's here. It gives you the pieces that you would need to create your own internal, you know, yeah. Emperor Leopold. And, and like you guys said, it has, it's essentially, I like how you described it, a traveling location, right? Here's a location. Here's how it works. Here's a whole slew of NPCs that you can work with. Now go create an adventure. Or yep. with my players, I wouldn't even need to create an adventure. I would just need to put them in this location. They'd find adventure. <laughs> oh, so. yeah. You know, we've uh, it's in the tradition of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express or any number of movies that are set yeah, I like that. on a ship or on a train or, or whatever. Okay, so final chapter here is Vengeance of the Grave Lord. This is a really cool concept. So we're not going to go a ton into detail on this because, again, this is like a, a built-in adventure. But the concept here is that this is a side adventure or potentially a side quest or something you go off and do or something that can happen along the yep. way as you're going through mm -hmm. the enemy within that right. isn't directly tied into the enemy within, right? No, it's, it's, it's almost a parallel. I call it a B plot. And ah. it, um, you're going to see uh, further installments in uh, the next few companions. Um, and it's um, it all started when I was looking at Carry On Up the Reich, which was the section James Wallace added uh, to Power Behind the Throne, I think it was, the Hogshead edition. But um, basically, it was the section where um, the players lose their barge. And it was called Carry On Up the Reich in uh, tribute to a, a long-running uh, series of British comedy films. And but it was spelled carrion like the bird, except there were no carrion in it. <laughs> I, I read um, that section, yeah. And so I thought, well, I'll have to fix this. And <laughs> before I knew it, I'd taken a little part from from James's original and just spun it off in this whole other direction. It took on a life of its own. So uh, we've got. Uh, what have we got? Three little incidents that can be threaded in between the characters playing Death on the Reich. And um, as I say, in, in the rest of the companions, there, in each of them, there's uh, another installment in the story. Uh, so it's it's this this story, this plot that just kind of the, the characters keep running into uh, as they're trying to play the enemy within this other plot keeps keeps intruding yeah this is this is awesome i like the the concept here and without giving anything away it's a very i i don't know if mysterious is the right word but you're you're dealing with uh something your your players probably aren't going to have a good handle on for a while so that's right yeah, yeah. they're they're not going to figure out exactly what's going on in yeah. this 
in this installment, but it will become clear later on and we'll actually reach a conclusion. But for right now, it's the sort of opening um, mystery, what's going on, um, and uh, the fact that the uh, the characters don't understand what's going on is going to be the most worrying thing about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that is the Death on the Right Companion. And um, so I, I guess at this point, um, gentlemen, conclusions, final thoughts? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's going to come as no surprise that I really, really, really like this supplement. Similarly to the Enemy in Shadows Companion, there's a lot of rules in here that are going to be useful for it. really just about any game you play. You can find something in here that would uh, you could pull out and use well put together, great NPCs, some great rules in there. I, uh, I, don't, I don't have much, uh, many gripes about it, if I'm being honest. Well, thanks. And, uh, obviously, then it did what I intended it to do. <laughs> Steve? Yeah, um, I love the book. You know, this was the one I was waiting for for the longest. And now that it's, it's here, I've read it. I enjoyed it. Um, I've always had like a, a, not a nostalgia thing, but I've always had like this fantasy, like, you know, living on the river or like the ocean on your own boat. Mm-hmm. And to put that kind of thought into like old world, like, oh, crap, yeah. uh, was great. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't wait to sail on the right. But hey, the, the, this book gives me a lot of like, I'm going to watch my back too. <laughs> right I, well very well done and the artwork of course is phenomenal as always so yeah they've done a really great job with the uh with the appearance uh the graphics and the and the art on these books i i couldn't be happier they're they're beautiful things yeah i'll i'll echo what matt and steve said and i'll just add um these companion books have been like a fascinating thing um and it's something that to me, I, I love because even let's say I have no desire, which I don't know how this would happen, and but if I have no desire to run the enemy within, these are still well worth the money. If I'm running fourth edition, I'm doing my own thing. Even like the the NPCs are easily adjustable, designed to be pulled mm-hmm. out. Um, the rule: if you're going to do anything with river travel and you wanted to make it more than just a hand wave situation, this book has everything you need. Um, there's, there's built in adventure. I think the only downside I think I would say is, man, I, I wanted, I want more boats and I want more, you know, upgrades for my boats. And so there's just, I know we got to keep a page count, but I suppose if you had everything I wanted in here, it'd be like a 600 page book, but it's, uh, (laughs) it is, it is, in my opinion, it's well worth the money for any GM that is, if you're looking for more Zinchi stuff, if you're looking for things that are river related, a bestiary or NPCs, anything to do with the river, this is a great buy for you. And uh, I think it's great. So, I mean, honestly, I, I haven't had a whole lot of gripes about anything coming out of fourth edition. And this, like Steve and Matt, this is one I was really looking forward to and I was excited to get it. So thanks, Graham. Well done. Well done. Yeah. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, that's the end of our show tonight. Thank you, Graham, again for joining us. Um, we really appreciate you being here um, and uh, for letting us take up so much of your time. Um, we really enjoy what you're doing and can't wait to see what comes out next. Oh, I did want to make a special mention because I don't think we've had a chance to talk about this, but it's your funeral. Well done, sir. Thank you. <laughs> 
we were part of that room <laughs> as you helped uh, yep. design it and uh yep. it was really cool to see um that come in and i want to say that piece of artwork that uh you got sam manley to do for you that was awesome yeah it's very uh it was a lot of fun to do and i'm i'm hoping you know when uh, gen con restarts or at some other opportunity to do do it this something similar again yeah i'm gonna mention that when i first saw the picture that you had for that supplement i uh i, I before i knew it was that i was like graham <laughs> and it just you know it was you um, so so it was just cool um, I think anybody who's seen you in person, Graham, took one look at that cover and said, yeah, that is unmistakably 100% clearly very cool. Oh, well, it's, it, it's fun. It's, it's, it's fun and also kind of an honor to, to be drawn as a character in the, in the old world. <laughs> so, listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. Uh, you can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcasts, and of course, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards too. You can check that out at patreon.com slash Podcast. We also have uh, a store where you can get some Old World Podcast merchandise if you prefer to support us that way, oldworldpodcast.com slash store. Yes, indeed. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. A review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. All right, Graham, thanks again. We always appreciate having you on. If people want to keep in touch and keep in the know about what you're up to, where can they find you? Uh, well, I have a Facebook page under my own name, Graham Davis. I'm on Twitter as at Graham J. Davis. And uh, I have a, a blog at grahamdavis.wordpress.com. So this is Lance saying goodnight and beware of leeches in the trees. This is Matt also saying goodnight. And while normally I would say don't let the bed bugs bite, we're on the river. So let's say... Don't let the cavity worms burrow. Oh, gosh. Oh, gross. <laughs> oh, I was thinking about that right now. Um, this is Steve saying goodnight and one on the right, like Graham suggested, go with the flow. <laughs> and this is Graham saying goodnight. Uh, don't forget to keep your powder dry and your throat lubricated. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.